Welcome to the hills, to our large online community around the world. To all of you in person, if you're at Keller, West Fort Worth, part of our Dallas launch team, or at North Richmond Hills, wherever you are, get to the men's conference. Uh, John Ortberg, Dat Wynn, Bob Goff, uh, great worship. And let me just say that you know someone, and I don't know where they are on their spiritual journey, but I know that if you bring them to the men's conference, they will leave closer to Jesus. It's going to be a dynamic weekend. I want to thank in advance all of you that have volunteered and all of you that are praying, get to the men's conference. We're in a series called Follow the Way which is critical to who we are as a church because we say all the time our mission as a church is to make and grow followers of Jesus. Well, what do we mean by the word follow? Or actually, what did Jesus mean by the word follow? And what we're learning is that Jesus was not seeking acceptance. He was seeking apprentices who would spend time with him and Intend to become like him so that they could go and do what he did. That's what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. And so last week we talked about what it means to spend time with Jesus. And today I want to especially focus on what it means to become more like Jesus. So we start with a pretty obvious question. Who do you most want to be like? Because we like to be like people that we like. Some of you are old enough to remember the great Michael Jordan of Chicago Bulls fame. At the peak of his career, there were a number of commercials that said, be like Mike. And they sold a lot of Gatorade under the premise that if you will drink the same sports liquid that Michael Jordan drinks, you can dunk a basketball too. I tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> but the strategy works, and the advertisers know it. So they pay big dollars to entertainers and to famous business people, and especially to athletes now, even to college athletes who tell us what their products and services are they prefer because we want to use them because we want to be like them. So again, who do you most want to be like? Now here's the problem asking that in a church setting. It reminds me of one of my favorite jokes of a Christian camp. It was summertime. A bunch of kids from the city were out in the forest. The counselor took them on a hike. He said, kids, I got a nature question for you. What small furry climbs trees, stores nuts in the winter? Total silence. He said, come on, kids, it's not that hard. What's small, furry, climbs trees, stores nuts in the winter? Finally, a little girl raised her hand, and she said, well, I really think it's a squirrel, but I guess I'll say Jesus. <laughs> because that's the answer we're supposed to give. Pastor, I want to be like Jesus. But it's fair then to follow that up with the question, is the life you're living consistent? with that answer. We've been saying the greatest crisis in the church today is a crisis of discipleship. To put it bluntly, today 
in the modern church, you can be a Christian and you don't have to be like Jesus. You don't have to spend time with him. You don't have to become more like him. You don't have to do what he did. The modern church took Jesus' invitation, follow me, and redefined it. It became, accept some ideas about me, say that you believe them too, and get a ticket to go to heaven when you die. Instead of what Jesus meant. Apprentice under me. And let me teach you a new way to live. And so if you go with the modern church's definition of follow me, you get people that really like Jesus, but aren't that serious or intentional about trying to become like Jesus. So what we're trying to do in this series, and frankly, what we're trying to do as we think forward as a church is return to Jesus' definition of what it means to follow him, to apprentice under our rabbi with the understanding duplication is the destination. That's what he meant. So you're going to hear so much that within a few weeks, you're going to be able to say it yourself, that the Hills Church exists to make and grow followers of Jesus. And we do this together by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. So again, I ask, who do you most want to be like? Now, if God was answering that question for you, I know what the answer would be. And two of the better known verses in the Bible, read Romans 8. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So God's intention has always been to have a big family. A lot of children that look like his firstborn. See, this verse does not say, if you follow Jesus, everything in your life will be good. What it says is that no matter what you're going through in life, God can work toward the ultimate good. And that is to shape you and me to be more like Jesus. That no matter where you are right now in life, God could be at work for the ultimate good of helping you become like his firstborn. Spend time with Jesus. Be like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. So if we're going to spend time with Jesus, we said last week we start with habitation. Withness with Jesus is the baseline of discipleship. But we don't just spend time with Jesus because we like him. We spend time with Jesus because we want to become like him. So what we're saying today is that following the way focuses on formation. That the good news is not just that we can be forgiven. It's that we can be formed into the kind of people we were created to be. Now here's what you need to remember. 
You're being formed. Formation is not a Christian thing. It is a human thing. We are all being formed by someone or something, whether we are conscious or unconscious of it. For some, it's the world of entertainment. I can promise you many young people are formed daily by the world of entertainment. Some of you are being formed primarily by your political party or by your news channel or by social media or by your hobbies. We're all being formed by the people we hang out with the most. There is no option here. Scripture says you are either being transformed into the likeness of Christ or you are being conformed to something else. Everyone is being formed. The question is, have you consciously chosen who or what your rabbi will be? Where are you giving the most influence into what is shaping you into who you're becoming? Or in other words, who do you most want to be like? Do you want to be a doppelganger? For Jesus, you know that word, it refers to someone that looks so much like someone else, they get mistaken for each other. Has it ever happened to you? Someone walked up and said, man, you look so much like one of my uncles, or you remind me so much of someone I was in college with, or maybe you've been mistaken for someone famous. I have a pastor friend that actually does look a little bit like the actor Bradley Cooper, and so especially when he travels on airplanes or airports, he gets asked, are you Bradley Cooper. There's someone out there named Brad Pitt. I don't know who he is, but I'm telling you all the time, people walk up to me. And I feel bad for Mr. Brad Pitt. He must be worn out with people saying, you remind me of a pastor back in Texas. The crisis of the church today is a crisis of formation. We can get so upset about many things going on in the world, but are we burdened and people, until people are formed into the image of Jesus. Paul was. That was burden number one, Galatians chapter four. My dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. A different version puts that verse this way. My little children, again, I feel the pain of childbirth for you until you truly become like Christ. There are those who claim to be Christians. Their lives look nothing like Jesus, nor do they intend for them to. They don't spend time with Jesus. They're not trying to look more like Jesus. They're not spending any time doing things that Jesus did. They have lost their way. We're trying to follow the way. We're trying to say yes to the invitation of our rabbi. Because we want to answer the question the way God wants it to be answered. That we're a family of brothers and sisters that look a lot like his firstborn. So what I want to do is teach you a sentence about formation. You're not going to read it in the book or find it on the internet because I made it up. After a lot of prayer and worship and study, I want to give you a sentence that I think surmises what the Bible teaches about formation. It's got four parts. I think they're all important. And it starts right here. 
Christ-like formation is a process. I heard about an accomplished artist that was putting last touches on a bronze sculptor, a little filing, a little polishing. Someone said, when will you be finished? He said, I never finish. I keep working until they come and take it away. And that's how the Bible describes the process of Christ-like formation. Jesus said, remain in me. And my fruit, my character, will start to grow in you. Well, it takes time to grow fruit. And it takes time to develop the character of Christ. Transformation cannot be microwave. Think about the stories in the Gospels of Jesus healing people. Do you notice how they were always instant? Lameness, blindness, leprosy. He just had to speak a word. He just had to touch somebody. Instant healing. There is not one example in the Gospels of Jesus giving anybody instant and permanent formation of the soul. Because formation's a process. And the very first disciples are proof of that. Years after he started following Jesus, Peter still had some racist residue to deal with. Paul and Barnabas get in such an argument they can't keep together as a mission team. The epistles are written to churches, and in each one, there are formation struggles addressed. Because formation is a process. Look at 2 Corinthians 3. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're being transformed. It's an ever increasing glory. That same verse in another version. The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him. As we are changed into his glorious image. Here's why this is important. If we would accept this one truth about formation. We'd give each other more grace. When that brother or sister in Christ irritates you. Frustrates you. Doesn't live up to what you were hoping or expecting. You might remember. They're being formed. Just like me. They're on a journey. Billy and Ruth Graham. We're in the car together later in their life, in their home state of North Carolina, going down a highway that had a lot of road work. Ruth looked out the window, turned to her husband and said, I want that sign on my tombstone. Let me show you a picture of her tombstone. This is Ruth Graham Bell. It has the dates of her birth and death, and it says, <laughs> end of construction, thank you for your patience. Isn't that beautiful? You see, our rabbi is not offering a quick fix. He's offering a way, a process that leads to progress if we abide in him. He said, remain in me, and you will begin to bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that leads to the second part of our sentence. Christ-like formation is a process that requires his power. Now, I'm going to tell you something about me you already know. I am not naturally like Jesus. In the first service, somebody said amen. <laughs> They're being disfellowshipped. <laughs> but I am not naturally like Jesus. I am naturally like like me. 
So if me is going to become more like Jesus, I'm going to need some supernatural enabling. You see, formation is as much a divine gift as forgiveness is. It's not something we do as much as something that is done to us as we surrender to the Holy Spirit. But here's what happens, and I understand why it happens. But we preach you are saved by grace. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It is totally up to God. It is his divine gift. So we preach salvation by grace and formation by grit. I understand maybe as someone's coming from a pretty worldly background, it might be wise to give them some, some guidelines and some boundaries. But what they hear often is everything about my forgiveness was up to Jesus. And everything about me becoming like Jesus is up to me. And it never works. Law can't form any more than law can't forgive. Because law can only affect the outside, and transformation has to take place on the inside. Some Judaizers, some Jewish teachers showed up to these new Galatian churches, these people that had been Gentiles. They'd been saved by Christ, and immediately they start receiving a bunch of laws. And it sounds good. Here's what Paul said. You began your life in Christ by the Spirit. Now are you trying to make it complete by your own power? I mentioned all my preaching this year is going to focus on being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and doing what he did. In February, we're going to have a series on how to hear the voice of God so that we can spend time with Jesus. And then after Easter, I want to do a series on the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the character of Christ is the outliving of the indwelling spirit of Christ. Because we will never have enough sheer willpower to follow the way of Jesus. Let's be honest about ourselves. How many of us have already given up on our New Year's resolutions and January not even over yet? I think I'm good at willpower. I go to bed many nights thinking of all the things I'm going to do different tomorrow. And typically by 9 o'clock my willpower is gone. What we can will and must will is that we'll make ourselves available to the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we must put ourselves in a situation where the Spirit's work of transformation is released instead of restricted. Remember what I just said. The work of transformation is God's work. But you must put yourself in a position where the Holy Spirit is released and not restricted. As the church father Augustine put it, without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. God will not change you into someone you don't want to be. And so that leads to the third part of our sentence. Christ-like formation is a process that requires his power and his practices. 
You see, because every believer in Christ is indwelled by the Spirit of Christ, they have the capacity to develop the character of Christ. But no one drifts into transformation of the soul. Christ-likeness is possible, but it's not attainable to any believer who's just going to go their own way. Rabbi Jesus is offering a different way. He's offering a yoke. He's offering a way of doing life that makes you fully alive in the kingdom of God. And this is where I think transformation breaks down more than any other place. We want the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. We believe a lie that we can become more like Jesus without having to live more like he lived. 1 John 2 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How did he live? We know from the Gospels he lived a disciplined life. He lived a life committed to certain core habits that nurtured his soul. Now we all have habits. We all have rhythms. You may not be conscious of them, but you live your life in a certain way, driven and uh, motivated by certain habits. You tell me what your consistent habits are, and I'll tell you who you're becoming. And so you read the Gospels, and you notice Jesus had certain rhythms and habits. One of them was meditation and memorization of Scripture. It was very important to Jesus. He was obsessed with Scripture. You see it at the beginning of his ministry out in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. You see that at the very end after his resurrection, walking with some disciples. Jesus was constantly living with Scripture. It was one of his habits. Another was solitude and quiet. Jesus refused to live a life of constant noise. So he took control. It says he frequently withdrew to quiet places so that he could hear God. And another of his habits, and often in those quiet places, was prayer. Jesus was a man of constant prayer. It was one of his spiritual practices. Another was consistent public worship. It says in Luke 4, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. It was a practice that Jesus prioritized. Every week, I will be with other believers in God to publicly worship him. It was a committed practice. Another was observance of the rest principle. And I didn't say Sabbath, although Jesus honored the Sabbath, but Jesus lived a life that refused to give in to the frenetic pace of people around him. He would not live a frazzled life. He lived a life of rest and pace. It was a practice. Another was fasting. Jesus did not say, now, if you fast, he said in Matthew 6, when you fast. It was his habit, and he assumed it would be ours. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. Another was simplicity. 
Jesus didn't acquire much because he didn't require much. Another was confession. Now, not of sin, but of stress, of sorrow. Jesus was authentic. It was his practice to live in community and get real about how his soul was doing. I could list more, but you get the point. Jesus lived a life of committed spiritual practices. Do you want the life of Jesus? Then practice the lifestyle of Jesus. He didn't command these practices as much as he just modeled them. And his disciples were with the rabbi. They saw what he did. So that's what they did too. Now, remember this. Spiritual disciplines are a path. They're not the destination. They're not necessarily a barometer of spiritual maturity. I've told you before, you can read your Bible every morning and pray before every meal and be a jerk. Spiritual practices aren't the end. They're the way to get to the end. They, they come with a purpose. A few of us are old enough to remember the beginning of uh, talk show television. And one of the very first was a man named Merv Griffin. He had a bodybuilder on his show one day. And he asked him, why do you develop those particular muscles? And the guy stood up and did like this, and everyone hollered and clapped. He said, yeah, but why do you have those muscles? He did that again. And one more time, Murph said, yes, but why was it important to you to have these big muscles? And the guy looked totally perplexed, like he didn't know. We pray, and we fast, and we tithe, and we publicly worship, and we Sabbath, and we spend time in quiet. For a reason. We want to make ourselves available. To the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. So we're creating space. For the Spirit to influence us. We do what we can do. By creating space for God. Through the practices. Modeled by our rabbi. And then God does what only he can do, and he transforms our character to be like his son. You know, every church has core beliefs. Go to their website. They'll tell you, these are our core beliefs. Maybe we should publish our core practices. These are the things we think are very important for you to do so that you can follow Jesus. It's one reason why we're so high on rooted groups. The value of rooted groups is that you, with other Christians, actually practice some of the practices of Jesus together. And that's a big word in the last part of our sentence. That Christ-like formation is a process that requires his power and his practices among his people. See, following Jesus is a team sport. Jesus never gave anybody private discipleship lessons, and neither did his first Apprentices, You know, he said, you go into all the world and you make followers of me. So you notice that wherever they went, they started faith communities. They established churches. Why? Because that's the only way they knew to do it. The only way they knew to make followers is the way their rabbi did it. And their rabbi did it in community. There's something about us coming together that empowers our becoming together. Look at this verse from Ephesians 4. Christ gave gifts to people. 
He made some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to go and tell the good news, some to have the work of caring for and teaching God's people. Christ gave those gifts to prepare God's holy people for the work of serving, to make the body of Christ stronger. This work must continue until we're all joined together in the same faith and in the same knowledge of the Son of God. We must become like a mature person, growing until we become like Christ and have his perfection. That the apostle believes that when we come together and we use our gifts that we were given to serve each other, we are helping each other become like our rabbi. Let's be clear. There is no ideal faith community. Just like you're never going to find a Christian that has totally arrived, you're never going to find a church that is totally like Jesus. Christian fellowship will always be messy because we are messy. But it's in the bearing with one another and serving one another and confessing to one another and forgiving one another and encouraging one another that we experience the kind of grace necessary if any of us is going to look more like Jesus. I would encourage you to come to celebrate recovery sometime and you'll see this in practice. Nobody is pretending. Nobody is curating their image. They're coming together saying, I don't have it all together. And in their honesty, they're helping each other become the people God wants them to be. When you were small, did anyone ever teach you this little hand exercise? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors. And there's all the people. I have a pastor friend named Randy Frazee. His children are grown now, but when his son was very young, he was in a Bible class, and the Sunday school teacher was teaching the children this little exercise, and she had them follow her and do it with her. And then she suddenly remembered. Randy's son was born without a left hand. But before she could stop, she saw that his best friend, ever since they were babies, had reached across and taken his left hand and joined it to Randy's son's right hand. And they made the church together. And Randy would say, maybe that's how we should always do that. Because the church is not just a collection of individuals. The church is a people connected, even though they're very different in so many ways. But they're connected because they're all following the same rabbi. And they want to be like him. So let me get into your business just a moment. Could you name the people in your life that are fostering your growth in Christ's likeness? I didn't ask if you knew people at church. We all know people at church. We know casually names of people like Jesus, but who are you connected to that are helping you be like Jesus? So there is a uh, theologian named Will Williman who for some years was the dean of the chapel at Duke University. 
And one Sunday right after graduation, a father came up to him who was livid and saying, it's your fault, it's all your fault, I blame you. It seems that his daughter recently graduated with an engineering degree from Duke and who had been accepted into graduate school was planning to go to Haiti to do mission work. In the words of her father, she was throwing her life away and I blame you. So Willeman pushed back. He said, When she was little, you were the one that read her Bible stories. You took her to Sunday school. You encouraged her to get baptized and to be involved in her youth group. You paid for her to go on mission trips. You introduced her to Jesus, not me. And the father replied, yes, but all I wanted her to be was a Presbyterian. (laughs) I don't say that to criticize Presbyterians. You could tell that story in any church. We're asking for the next generation. What do we want? For them to like Jesus or to be like Jesus? Do we want to raise a generation that live life their way with a little Jesus sprinkled on? Or do we want to raise a generation that is following the way of the rabbi. The crisis of the church today is a crisis of formation. So do this for me. Think about how you lived this past year, what your lifestyle was like. Now imagine living like that for the next five years years. Who do you see? Each week I've been asking a question, so here's the question I want you to wrestle with this week. Is the way I'm doing life forming Christ in me? I'm not suggesting the way you're doing life is sinful. I'm asking, is it fruitful? Is the way you're doing life forming Christ in you? Because there is another way. Formation into the character of Jesus is possible, but it won't be accidental. It only comes one way. And your rabbi is inviting you to join him on it. So one last time. Who do you most want to be like? And are you living in a way consistent with the answer you just gave? Let's pray. Father, we need some spirit-infused honesty right now. Because if we take this teaching to heart, we could be facing some profound and wonderful life change. We also know the enemy will try to get us to forget this message before we get to the car. Because the last thing the enemy wants is more people getting mistaken for Jesus. So give us some spirit-infused honesty right now. What are we supposed to do with this teaching? And give us a holy burden 
until Christ is formed in us and those we love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.